Hey, Michael. Welcome to Cyberbytes, the podcast. Great to have you here, dude. How are you? Great, man. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, if if the viewers can see us, I think we've um, we've come matching today, haven't we? <laughs> no intention there by any means, but uh, clearly we've got good taste, right? Absolutely. I don't know what the weather's like by you right now, but uh, this is like the appropriate outfit for sure for yeah. the holidays. Today we've got like insane winds in the UK. Like it's crazy. It's, it's it's really nuts. I don't know if you can hear it in the background. Hopefully not. But yeah, it's it's nuts. No, it sounds good. Um, you know, remote world. I'm a basement dweller, so I don't hear as much the winds. But like I can see outside. It just looks cold here, like outside DC. So yeah, good stuff. Well, um, where I'd like to begin, Michael, and and is to take our viewers back to to your journey into engineering. First of all, um, everyone's got their own story to share, right? So. Um, how did it all start for you? How did you get into the engineering space? Yeah, I kind of got into the engineering space in a little bit of like a side tangent. Um, you know, my background, at least for undergrad, was more in the business side of things. But I was finding that the overlap in the 2000s of like line of business apps and development, so course, like, like tied together at that point, especially as I was moving around the US trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And I ended up kind of settling outside DC with like a large consulting kind of background with commercial and government kind of together. And, you know, a big play there was, you know, what does like security consulting look like? Like what is GRC, which I think was happening a lot, that real government risk and compliance. And you know, for me, like a big part of entering engineering was kind of also entering kind of like that compliance space as well, kind of building some tools for doing some of that measurement for kind of helping some pen testers figure out how they were going to start to quantify some of those documents. So you know, I entered the space right out of undergrad from business right into software development. And then on top of that, just kind of grabbing my master's in computer science after it, because it was almost like a, you'd almost call it like a loop path, like found one way through life, but ended up realizing that I really enjoyed another much more. So nice. Yeah, it's interesting. And you've had, I know you've had a number of interesting stints on, on your profile, um, obviously right now at, at Picnic. Uh, corp but the the really interesting stint i wanted to to dive into first of all is with ironet um you spent around five years with that business and worked from or joined i think pre or or in series a and took them through to, to ipo right so i guess my first question are you able to give some insight to, to that journey yeah yeah it starts off like uh pretty great especially from like the startup journey um I, i'd met somebody at booz allen when i was doing some grc development uh, he went to another startup that was in like the fintech space and I ended up joining him there, kind of like a great guy. And that just didn't work out like many startups do. And I actually ended up having a, uh, you know, getting a house, getting married, having a kid and realizing I needed health insurance. Uh, so like that was like a little bit of like a change of lifestyle. I ended up working at AOL for a few years, mostly doing a lot of like network configuration management database, incident response as well. Like they had kind of like a major breach at that point. I had a chance to kind of jump into the IR side of things there, but really on the networking side, I'd spent a lot of um, time in that space, had a big interest in that space. And the same person kind of reached out to me and said, hey, like I'm at this company, we're looking to do user behavioral analytics. Um, we have some networking stuff. We could really use some developers that understand networking, that understand security. We're seed right now. There's, you know, maybe 15 of us on like development team. You know, are you interested in joining? And it was probably one of the most exciting times 
of my life because it was kind of entering the stage and just figuring out like what's the piece you want to own like you can come in there and see what they have you can see the roadmap you can see the vision and there's nobody that's really saying like mike this is where you should be you could kind of pick off as much as you wanted and that yeah. was around 2015 and that's what kind of like for me kind of going from like an ic to figuring out like okay like this is what a portion of this like product platform looks like like let's put together a group like let's hire for it let's put like an individual roadmap for like a data plane together and that kind of trajectory went through series a series b and then you know me actually leaving a little bit before the ipo like we can talk about like you know equity what it looks like getting it like pre-seed getting it like a and mm -hmm. getting it b and kind of like a little bit of like a diminishing return on where you want to take your career but yeah, it was like a rocket ride from 2015 to 2019 and probably yeah. one of the highlights of my career. Yeah, nice. And on that last point you just mentioned then, because when I'm speaking to a lot of engineers, um, they're very skeptical about equity. Um, they're always like, typically what I see is they want higher on the base um, for security reasons and equity. It's, it's just, a, I guess, a fun tokens if, if it actually pays off. From your experience going through that that whole sort of journey, how much can you share around that equity piece and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a um, choose your own adventure. And I'm stealing that comment from somebody else. But I mean, I kind of tell everybody and I have a spreadsheet and I share it with them like, you know, you definitely have to clear your bills. You have to figure out like, where do I need to be in life? And then, you know, if I had this upside, what does it look like, you know? And I think this is where like some uncomfortable questions usually kind of come in. Like what's the numerator over the denominator, depending where you're at in a startup, like you're not going to find some of those numbers. There's other numbers you will find though. Like what's an average deal size? How many yeah. deals am I doing? Like, what does my general run rate look like? I mean, that kind of starts to put people into like a product engineer space because you're starting to think about more than just doing jira tickets you're starting to think about like hey the business like economics like are we doing the right thing are we like putting like space away for like moonshot but from like an equity composition piece um you know i've definitely in the past bought out my equity and then lost i would say like you know having the, like the tax consequences you know, Ironnet was a different story. Obviously, with that kind of going IPO through a SPAC, like I was able to kind of see that liquidity event. So like that's super exciting. But like there's that balance, and I don't think um, I don't think that having no cash is the right answer on that. But I think people kind of understanding like, hey, like what would my journey look like? Like what would mm -hmm. I be happy with right now? Plus the connections I'm making, you know, plus what I think the future outcome is, and. You know, if you don't believe the future outcome is high, like that might not be the right, that might not be the right job for you yeah. to be truthful with you. So that's interesting because I, I don't think, well, anyway, the, from my experience, a lot of engineers I speak to have like a formula or equation to work that out is, it's a bit of guesswork. And it's quite interesting what you said there around having a spreadsheet and, and finding out as much as you can, because then it can start paint obviously things can happen right out of anyone's control, but it starts painting a picture. And as you say that it could avoid people just taking a job for job's sake when it might not actually be right. Um, so it's a great point. And in terms of your journey with INET, so you joined as an IC, did you leave in leadership? Yeah, yeah, I, I actually nice. kind of um, you know, started when we had like a single, uh, you know, scrum group for lack of a better term. And then like you start to see kind of the usual kind of growing pains, you get some clients, you get some investment, you start to realize that you actually want to have kind of like diverging groups that have like different, not charters, but like are kind of lined up to a mission, whether it's like a 
data platform group uh, mm -hmm. that's building APIs uh, for more than just the internal product, whether it's the actual uh, user interface experience. You know, at IronNet, like we had a sensor as well. So like you can start to see some skill set specialization there. So like I'm definitely going to be hiring and building a group in the sensor space slightly differently than maybe I'd be thinking about from, you know, a really slick React app that's going to kind of go over top of that or a Splunk app or maybe a set of integrations, things like that. So you can think of the projection there of you know, joining, getting a chance to kind of like help where we're at, kind of dictate some of the vision, sort of help break out that group. You know, for me, that kind of led to being, uh, and this is the fun part as well, like as you grow an org, you start to actually have to codify, like, what does it mean to have like career progression through a startup? Like everybody was an IC. Okay, well, now we're going to have some notion of a director that can look over some groups. Right. You know, they need to roll up to a another person, like a manager of managers. And like, you know, you want to be very careful with like title allocation at that point in time, because you don't want to have a bunch of people that are senior network architect. And then as you grow, you start to realize that like your titles are way out of balance for like where you're at, right? Actually, it's if, if I learned any lesson in life, I would say like being better about that earlier mm -hmm. in my career, just to make sure like you don't pre-allocate that and then have like the people issues later, like trading one people issue for another. But you know, for me, it was, you know, I see kind of like this director of position to kind of like look over a few groups and then they become kind of VP engineering, looking over like everything from data science to sensor development to the actual platform. Sweet. And did you did you always know that was the direction you wanted to go from like being an IC? Because you obviously came from a slight like business focused background. Was that always kind of the direction for you? No, I don't think it was to be truthful. Oh. I actually got really excited about the proposition of being able to work with a lot of smart people, yeah. like a lot of smart products. And to kind of, um, this is going to sound cliche, uh, you know, unblock them, help them with things. Like I actually started finding a lot more satisfaction for me personally and helping a bunch of different groups, whether it was push out a new build of a sensor, you know, whether it was kind of getting like what those APIs might look like externally, whether it's kind of working group, you know, externally building a Splunk app. So it was kind of like a gradual thing from, I love this uh, domain. Mm -hmm. I love working with these individuals. Like I believe in the mission, you know, I'm, I'm all bought in and then seeing like, Hey, where am I probably most impactful? And I felt that like, I started to become more impactful working with other groups of people to kind of tie them together make sure that everybody understood like the why, you know, what, yeah. what does it mean to probably be done with this thing? Stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, that's cool. And then if we, we fast forward to today, right? Um, so we're Picnic Corp at the moment. Um, you've been there for two and a half, three years now. Um, years. The journey. Um, yeah. Talk us through that then. Um, keen to understand what was the motivation behind uh, joining those guys and, and talk us through uh, in high level of, of that journey so far. Yeah, there's the fun part of like, the equity one and like i have no fiduciary responsibility for anybody so like i throw that out there but um and there's people that have spoke about this like in much deeper and like better content position than me but when you have a lot of options that are you know sub dollar strike uh you know they're just awesome you start to see them you understand like hey if this becomes 10 100 like oh. all that in between is mine and as you go through your rounds like you know that that starts to shrink a little bit and for me personally i started looking at well where's the next thing that I want to do in my career? And like, how do I look at the option portion of that? And you're starting to figure out like, you know, wh where do I want to be on this journey? And then you also start to think about like, what have I learned? And one of the things that I learned was a lot of people are trying to help humans. They're trying to do it, whether it's through 
an endpoint uh, mm -hmm. application, whether it's through network telemetry, but like they really are trying to help the person because, you know, a lot of times they are the main and probably overwhelmingly the main kind of attack vector that happens there. And it's like, how do you see it? Where are you going to grab it? And from a picnic perspective, they said something that was very insightful to me. It's like, we're going right to the person. Um, yeah. It's going to be helpful for all those things downstream, but like, we're looking to help people like you know, full stop. So it was almost uh, every client meeting that I had been in over like the last five to six years was trying to help people through like the network portion of it. And this was just like a flip uh, paradigm. Like we're going right to the people. We're looking yeah. to help them. We're looking to provide them actionable tools. I think a lot of times things aren't quantifiable in that portion yeah. of like the, you know, security investments people have. Mm. Uh, they just don't know. And like, they were very driven and like, we are very driven and trying to give you like the quantifiable piece, uh, you know, just straight there. So you can look about it along with everything else that like you should be doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And can you give us um, a bit more of an insight into like social engineering Maybe, I don't know if, how, how much you can share with Picnic and what you've been up to, but may, maybe some, if it's possible, some real life examples of um, maybe names need to be protected, but some examples of, um, of yeah, attacks you've been able to hold or get in front of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, leaving names out of it, you know, at Picnic, we focus a lot on reconnaissance you know, analysis and then remediation. And like, that's something I think it's pretty interesting for us. You see a lot of people in the uh, reconnaissance OSINT portion of that, where they're like raising up all this stuff. And then like it's mm. you as a security professional, it's almost like overload. It's the thing we always talk about. It's like giving more work to somebody that is already underwater. Yes. And like, I, I would have seen like a lot of just chatter on LinkedIn, even like what's the average time for somebody in a SOC to resolve a human driven problem, right? Um, you know, if that's like a phishing report or something like that, you know, it's a high number. I don't have it on with me, but it's one of those things where like when they go through that, you know, not having some of that data to kind of help make those decisions, like that's, that's problematic. So if you're giving people more to look at, you know, that's something that we really avoid, uh, you know, right out yeah. the gate, we try to do it for you. And then we also try to give the information where if you are kind of challenged to do it, that like you can make those decisions, you know, better and faster. Um, yeah. And just to kind of give you, like a few examples, because I felt like very abstract. When you think about some of the breaches that have happened over the last year, I mean, mm -hmm. some of the vectors have been you know, out there forever, but like now we're starting to see them highlighted. And an example might be my support staff. Yeah. You know, if I have people that access to a lot of accounts and, you know, like my identity provider, like if I'm just not super tight there, like they're starting to target, you know, outside of like what we might consider like a high value target, they're also doing the high value target as well. And I think that's where picnic helps, but like you're starting to see, like, I wouldn't call it non-traditional, but you're yeah. seeing these different places where people are kind of coming in there and, you know, and the cost of it is really kind of being, you know, dropped to the floor as well. And that's something that we really focus on, but mm. you know, now as an attacker, like if I can go through a company and, you know, you can think about some of these enrichment places, like I can pay rocket reach, yeah. I can pay, you know, Zoom Info or some of these companies, Apollo, and I can get all these personal emails, you know, it's like, I don't know, in bulk, yeah, five to 25 cents or something like that. You can start to see where like, you're really prioritizing on like how much info I have, like how was my attack as opposed to like your traditional, like spray and pool in type. Mm -hmm. 
yeah it's interesting P- plus ai right generative generative ai on top of that it's it's crazy out there at the moment yeah that's that's a great one like you, you hear it a lot and like a great example of that is if i do have all of these uh signals you know for lack of a better term or like in the us uh you know you're much luckier uh the data brokers like they have so much personal information on us when you think about just like taking that putting into a spreadsheet sorting it on who has the most and then feeding that into any of these platforms that now they can kind of run pretty great locally like you know we just even informally been playing with something by mozilla that allows a lot of these llms to run regular 16 gigabit macbooks so um crazy you know yeah you're you're building very tailored uh you know phishing and smishing attacks now based on like very real info that you would recognize mm-hmm. relatives relatives ages addresses things like that yeah scary times cool and in, in terms of looking well if we just look at your whole career because i know since joining ironnet you've had the opportunity to to build teams right and build great teams that have been instrumental to to IPOs, for example, and helping that go for the line and, and building great tech. Um, what maybe advice or insights could you give around building engineering teams uh, that you think could be uh, useful to to share with the audience? Yeah, it's 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 a great question. Um, you know, I, I obviously think about getting, you know, fresh mindset into positions, you know, like I, I'm from the networking world. Um, you know, having this chance to apply a lot of what I've heard and known to social engineering mm-hmm. has been really invigorating, especially working with folks that have already been in this space for a long time. So I definitely think about like what that looks like, you know, somebody that may not have all those requirements that has like the correct like data platform and processing, like if they really have that interest and like, I really can feel that like when I think about the most special times in IronNet, it was a bunch of people that had just an overwhelming excitement to finish some stuff. Like we knew where we were going. Right. Uh, might not have been all in Jira just yet. And I, I think a lot about that, like in early phases of like team building, like getting kind of stuff done, people not scared to ship, you know, that you definitely want to have that diverse mindset. You don't want to have just like the same type of person there. You want to definitely have like, I think somebody that gets those like couple principles, like they're excited, they want to ship they care about the things. Um, I know that's really hard to tease out in an interview, but like at least kind of feeling some of those and not being constrained to like, okay, well, this person's been doing uh, this thing forever. That's the only type of like person that I'm trying to approach. Um, That's one of them, you know, on a flip side too, like there's always this really great balance between people I know that like, I'm really excited to work with them again because they've just been great uh, women and men, you know, throughout the security space. So like, you know, if they're saying that they're looking for the next position, like I'm listening, like I would love to take a call with them. And I would tell anybody that it's kind of going through that, you know, leadership progression, like sure. talk to people, like it's worth your time. You know, yeah. then the other one is like, well, where do you go after that? I think working with like uh, great companies that probably already in that space, like whether their niche is doing startup hiring, whether the niche is doing security hiring, I always find that to be incredibly helpful. Um especially as you're trying to bring on a new team. Sometimes when you're getting into like a brand new focus, like you've already been perhaps taking some of that work outside your development team. Like I see this a lot sometimes integrations and then, you know, maybe they're ready to bring it in and they don't just want to cannibalize from an existing team. They're looking to kind of grab somebody that already has kind of the mindset of where we want to go when they want to grab some new people in there. I think that that's always pretty helpful, but um, yeah, like the excitement part of it, 
uh, it's probably one of the biggest ones for me. And I know that sounds hard. That's like the hardest thing to uh, quantify or, you know, on somebody you're like qualify them as like, Hey, this person is excited. And, and I realize people will share excitement in different ways, but like, you know, the building, the seeing the spreadsheet that we were talking about, like trying to get to that end goal, like that, that type of loop for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause definitely on the recruitment side, what we can see a lot is companies just fall down the trap of that, like perfect profile, like just the, the tick box, the tick box, um, on, on different, if it's skills, attributes, or just background of have they done X? Cause this is what we're doing. Um, whereas you say that I'm a big believer of, um, just the attributes piece, like people have got the enthusiasm to be part of something, want to build something. They will make it success because they're dedicated to that, even if they're lacking certain skills that they can upskill on. And I'm a big believer of that, but it's really difficult to sometimes, um, not even convince, but demonstrate to hiring managers that that could be the case. It's, it's tough too. I mean, um, if I could go back to Ironet, whenever you put a sensor in somebody's data center, uh, like there's a lot of things you have to kind of have there, right? Like in some of these places, you know, they, they might not be touched for, you know, a quarter or something like that. So if it falls over, you know, it's problematic. So you're definitely going to hire people with like very particular skills. They've already done some of this type of, you know, forward deployed development. Mm. And then, you know, how do you open up opportunities for people to kind of get in there? Well, there's definitely configuration of these devices and perhaps the person that's doing all the watchdogging and sensor development, you know, they might not have the same interest in kind of building this really nice configuration that you would do once you like racked and stacked this type of thing. So it gives you a little bit of chance to start integrating people in and for them to do that, they're going to kind of see how like the deployment process works and they're going to get a chance to kind of influence how that sensor development life cycle works. So you can kind of start to like work people in there. And then, you know, if those smaller tasks start to kind of pop up, like, Hey, we need a new parser for something. And it's a little bit on the simpler side. It's a little bit on the smaller side. You've already been doing some of this config over here. Like it's that type of opportunity that I think, you know, a gets people excited. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think the company has to be at the like right level to, to do that. Right. If like you're super mature, like some of those opportunities, are hidden you kind of have to like dig in there and ask for them and get them and then i think when they're like really on the junior side you just have to be comfortable asking for them like they're there and like in all honesty if you ask for them you would probably get them you know if there was the right level of confidence uh from you then i don't see why anybody wouldn't do it yeah too right and if you look back over um like your whole career in it from a leadership perspective um is there any like common challenges that crop up on every organization that you've joined from, I don't know, that could be just gr a growth perspective um, that you see as a director VP of, of engineering? Yeah, I think there's a few of them that are pretty common. Uh, you know, like one that's really common is Ooh. as you grow, um, people are changing positions, people have interests in different things. You know, what was really important to you in a previous process might not be as important later. And I think that sometimes that can be really hard for people. And then like, as you as a leader are kind of challenged with like, Hey, how do I help my team like move along? And I'll give you an example, like, and this comes up in every shop, right? Like if somebody is falling behind, like, how do you help that person? You know, there's the mindset of like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, quick do this or quick do that. But, you know, as a leader, and this is something that uh, a previous uh, boss told me that I really found important, like, it's usually on you, like, 
Mm. You know, did, did you give them the right opportunity? Like, did you give them the right information? Like, did they just come to that? Like, they felt so confused overnight? Or was there something you could have done week after week to kind of bring them along where they would have realized that either they have more questions for you, you owe them more information. Uh, perhaps there's a new place within the org that's better for them. Perhaps there's a new place outside the company that's better for them. But like, it's usually on you. Like, it falls into those three buckets. Like, did you give them the right training? Yeah. Did you do all the work that's required there? And did you give them the right feedback that like things are going great or they're not? So like, yeah. that's one of the biggest ones that I, I wish I would have always approached it that way uh, through one-on-ones like very early in my career. And that's something that I think about often now, like every one-on-one uh, dump a bunch of notes before we meet. And I always ask everybody that does a one-on-one with me to also put their notes in there. So when they ask for help, I'm accountable. I put it in there. And like when I need help or I need to share something, I kind of also put it in there. Like if there is something that should be kind of like talked about and addressed for me or for them, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like it should definitely be in there. So that's a the hard-earned thing that I think is like you get bigger, organizations get more complex. You start to get a little bit more of like the accounting, I think that's that's required. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think that accountability bit is, is key, as you say, right? And just it's sim- something simple as a note, logging it just keeps everyone accountable, um, right? Instead, instead of something because we're humans, right? Everyone forgets things, so it's it's one of those. Um, okay, cool. And what one of my uh, probably last questions before we we wrap uh, this up is. In in terms of your time within the cybersecurity space specifically, I know you've had a, a a good number of stints and spent a lot of time here now. Um, are you able to share your potentially thoughts on future trends within the cyberspace over the next couple of years? Like, it, do you have a particular opinion on how things are going to develop? Um, is there anything that you can share that, yeah, in in your opinion, could be interesting from a future perspective? Yeah, it's that's actually a great question. Um, and if I if I had like a crystal ball, I would definitely put my money, uh, you know, on the market, and maybe buy some of these companies. But <laughs> you know, something I, I think a lot about from a picnic perspective is you know where are a lot of people kind of getting hurt. Yeah, and I think about like who are the people that are going to be in that space. And I don't mean you know, I obviously believe the picnic is in that space, but there's a whole you know, like ecosystem of other tools that would probably help with some of the things we're doing. You know, I definitely see law helping a little bit on this, like for the US at least, like the data broker footprint problem is huge. Uh, Like we definitely get violated from a privacy aspect there. But in addition to that, it's just prime for bad actors to use, whether in a free capacity or whether they wanna buy it very cheaply and get high quality data. So I think there's a little bit of like legal ease that needs to happen. The other one I think about is from like a breach perspective, like what is kind of happening out there. Like a lot of like this password, you know, reuse credential stuffing type opportunities, right? We've been talking about MFA for a while. I think that that will continue. I think the idea of like zero trust will probably get simpler for people like our parents. So I think that that will really drop the breach barrier down a little bit. So I'm very excited about where that's going to be in the future. Like that's here now, but like, I just don't think it's kind of past that like uh, parental sniff test, um, which is, you know, kind of interesting like and then you know on top of that i'm just very curious about like where we're going to go with some of our data you know i think that there's a couple really cool ideas out there that you know i'll I'll see the youtube demo like i'll see the uh homomorphic encryption style conversations about like 
giving somebody, you know, a model and then not being able to derive something out of it, but be able to derive outputs out of it. Right. I won't be surprised if maybe some of that uh, from like a privacy perspective might enter in, like it's a little slow now, maybe we haven't figured out all the places that it's applicable, but mm. like, those are the things that I'm really excited about. Like if I think about my own personal life um, and, you know, I can't control and you can't control other companies getting breached. But like, if we had some of those things out there, like how problematic would it be for us? And I think that would really kind of like drop some of that out. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, I don't know if that's like a, like a wide brushstroke on like where I think the future is going to be. But when I think mm -hmm. about like security and simplicity, helping humans, I think we're probably going to look at what are the things that are really bad today. And I think that will just become much tighter from like a product aspect on them. Yeah. It's true, right? If, if if we become tighter from that data perspective, it, it's got to naturally just re reduce some some element of risk, right? Within that, so yeah, interesting points. Um, I, I I look at my YubiKey on my desk, and like <laughs> my daughters aren't ready for that, and my dad's not ready for that. So like once we close that gap, like we'll know that we're in that space. Yeah, too right. Well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. To, to have you on the pod today um some really interesting insights that you've been able to to share with us so thank you for that is there anything that you wanted to add or finish with before we wrap up no i mean thanks for having me especially so close to the holidays so close to the end of the year when i know everybody has like their nose to the grindstone but uh it was a lot of fun and it breaks up the day before the holiday so thank you likewise yeah well great to have you on michael uh we'll chat soon awesome see ya take it easy